So I've been thinking this week about what to talk about. Because there has been a lot of politics this week. But you see, as a rabbi, it's not my job to talk about politics. It's not really in my wheelhouse as a rabbi. If you want to know what is in the rabbi's wheelhouse, it's talking about ethics and morality, and ultimately, the principles which we have stood for for thousands of years. So tonight, I'm not going to talk about anything that has happened this week. We're not going to talk about the winner of the election or refusing to admit that you've lost the election or talk about people gloating because of the election. I just want to talk Talmud. I just want to share two Talmudic stories with you tonight. The first one which I've shared with you before, but I think it's apropos for the week that we are in, is about, it's called the Oven of Akanai, and it's from Bava Metzia 59b. And in that story, it talks about that there is this chief head rabbi sitting at a table in a Beit Midrash, which is a house of study. And at that table, it is surrounded by rabbis all around. And they're arguing over if an oven is kosher or not kosher. Now, the chief rabbi is very clear that the oven is kosher. Now, everyone around the table says it's not kosher. And after trying to prove all of his points, he finally goes, this is crazy. You know what I'll do? Listen, if I'm right, what I want to happen is that I want you to look out that window at that carob tree. And that carob tree literally will uproot itself out of the ground and move itself 100 cubits. Some people say 400, but it'll move. So they all look out the window, the tree gets up and moves. Everyone in the house goes, ah, it's just a tree that doesn't prove anything. Getting more frustrated. So finally he says, listen, you know what we'll do? You don't believe in the tree? Look at that stream out the window. That stream, which is heading downhill, it'll reverse and go uphill if I'm correct. They look at the stream, the stream magically reverses and goes the other direction. They go, irrelevant. We all say that it's not kosher. Finally goes, listen, if I'm right, have the walls of this house of study collapse. And they begin to shake and they begin to fall and they fall. And right before they completely collapse, one of the rabbis points out and yells, what are you doing, walls? Stay exactly where you are. And the walls stop exactly at a 45 degree angle to show that they're right in the middle road between falling and standing up and they stay there. And all the rabbis say that proves nothing. At this point, he's lost patience completely. He says, listen, if I'm correct, have the voice from God above say that I'm right. And at that point, everyone, they tilt their head, they look up and this big booming voice says, yes, the rabbi's right. And the rest of the rabbis around the table point up at God and say the voice does not exist above anymore. The voice exists here. You're wrong. And with that, the ruling follows the majority, not the chief rabbi and not God. Later on, it says that Elijah came to God and said, came to an angel and said, well, how did God react when they told God to be quiet and said the majority rules, not God and not the chief rabbi? And it says, my children have beaten me, my children have beaten me. And God smiled. 
What mattered here was not the chief rabbi's voice. It didn't matter. God's voice would mattered was the majority's voice. And whatever the majority said overruled those two powers. Because there was lots of dissent in the Talmud. That's the way it worked in rabbinics time. That's the way it works today. Is that rabbis disagree and they argue with each other. Second story. Bavakama 117a. In this story, you have Rav Kahana, who is this giant intellectual who's traveling to Eretz Israel when he bumps into this guy named Reish Lakish. Now, Reish Lakish, he's sitting there and he's studying another great rabbi, Rabbi Yochanan. He's looking at his daily lecture, and when Kahana hears what he's studying, he goes, listen, I have issues with this, and, and I think the logic here is all wrong. I want to go and actually sit inside the hall of Rabbi Yochanan. Well, when... When Yochanan hears this, he prepares for himself. He hears this lion from Babylon is coming. And so they sit Kahana because he's such a giant in the front row to listen to Yochanan. Now, if you know Talmudic stories, the person who sits courtside seats inside the Beit Midrash is the smartest one there. And so Yochanan gives his first lecture and Kahana says nothing. Second lecture, nothing. After a few lectures and he's silent, they go, ah, this guy doesn't know anything. He's not even arguing. And they pick him up and they move him to the seventh row, which is a huge insult, which means he knows nothing. And so at this point, he is offended. So Kahana says to himself, I will take him on. He says, repeat the same lectures. And as Yochanan repeats the lectures, he challenges him. And he shows why he's wrong, and he does it aggressively, and he embarrasses Yochanan. And with each lecture that Kahana proves to him why he's wrong, Yochanan literally, he's sitting on top of seven rugs, it says. And each time he, he gets defeated, a rug gets taken out, and he gets lowered and lowered and lowered until he's on the ground, and he's just, he's devastated, and he's this old man, and it says he literally picks up his, his eyebrows to look at Kahana, and he thinks he sees Kahana laughing at him, when really what it says is there's just a split lip in his mouth, and he misinterprets it, and it pains him so much that he's been so devastated, and that he's been so embarrassed that he assumes that he's just being laughed at at this point. And at that point in the story, Kahana, with a split lip, dies. Some say it's for punishment. Others say it's the only way that he could save Yochanan from dying because he had embarrassed him so much. Well, the next morning, Yochanan finds out that he wasn't being mocked, that actually this man just had a split lip and he wasn't smiling at him. And so he decides he's going to go to the cave where, where Kahana is and see if he can revive him. And he gets to the cave and he goes to enter and there's a serpent sitting around the cave. And he says to the serpent, listen, I'm the teacher. That's my student. Let me in. And the serpent won't let him in because he says, I'm above, and that person's below me. So he changes. He goes, listen, we're colleagues. We're, we're totally equal. The serpent won't let him in. But it's only when he says, I'm his disciple, and that's my teacher in there. Please let me in. At that point, the serpent moves. Because just like he had lowered, Kahan had lowered Yochanan, now Yochanan had to lower himself as well. And when he enters into the cave, with divine mercy from God, it says he raises Kahana from the dead because the two men realize that they have to see each other eye to eye. They can have unbelievable disagreements. But embarrassing a person, 
laughing at a person, mocking a person is too far. And the only way for him to re-enter the world is when they realize that they are both people. When Rabbi Kahana realizes how he has humiliated Rabbi Yochanan by gloating in what appears to be smirking at him, the only way to save Yochanan's life was to die. His gloating or even appearance of going, it was not only was on the verge of killing Yochanan, it actually killed Kahana as well. But you see, the story, it doesn't end there intentionally. Because when Yochanan finally realizes that it was never a smirk, it's just what he looked like, he goes to the cave to actually lower himself, to show that he was lowered by Kahana, and that he now is the person who can raise Kahana back into the world and bring him back to life, to see that they're on the same level and that they're one. It's one thing to be so smart and to win the argument and to prove that you're right. But it is not the only thing that the rabbis are focused on. What they're really interested in, in is how we treat each other. They care less about policy and they care less about votes and less about winning and more about how we carry ourselves, how we're treating each other, how we're treating the people that are on the other side and are we lowering them and are we gloating? And if we are, we're actually not just killing them in the process. The thing we usually don't realize is that we're lowering ourselves and we're actually causing our own destruction. The only way forward, according to the rabbis, is to look your opponent in the eye and to see that they're actually not that far from us, but that we are one in a deeply divided argument. You're not just a smirk or gloat because it not only destroys the other, but it actually destroys you as well. What I can tell you is that there is an expectation on how we are supposed to be in the world. There's an expectation on how we are supposed to build a society. That's what the rabbis, that's what they want us to know. They knew conflict, they knew division, and they loved democracy. And they believed it was the collective that chose the way forward. It was not the chief rabbi. It was not a voice from above, but from the majority. They loved dissent, but they wanted it done in a respectful way where we realize that we can be heated and we can disagree. But at the end of the day, we are one people. We are one nation under God. Amen.